Tusk is coming to Blu-ray and digital. Justin Long and Michael Parks take you on the strangest cinematic journey yet. Tusk on iTunes, Amazon Instant Video, or pick up a Blu-ray DVD copy signed by Kevin Smith from The Secret Stash. Tempe, Arizona. Make sure to catch an evening with Kevin Smith and Jay and Silent Bob Get Old on December 29th at the Tempe Improv. As 2014 wraps, don't miss this chance to watch the Smod Pod gods work their magic. Once again, December 29th at the Tempe Improv, Tempe, Arizona. An evening with Kevin Smith and Jay and Silent Bob Get Old. Tickets are going fast at csmod.com. Geek News Reviews Commentary Not just another podcast Are the ordinary people broadcast Insert random joke here Now here comes your host Kyle Baird of the World Steve Welcome to the Big Ball Broadcast All the geeky news you can use This is Kyle Bear coming at you from the West Coast I'm an anime and video game voice actor And the voice of Sir And your co-host on the East Coast of the World Steve I am an amateur historian and a musician And hey, we're here for episode 3 We've made it 3 episodes so far, even though uh, by the time you hear this, we will have been on Smodco for just a few weeks, and we want to give a big shout out to Will Wilkins from NetHeads and uh, uh, a guy who's responsible behind the scenes for keeping Smodco Internet Radio on the air and all the podcasts organized and ready for download, all the RSS feeds and the website and everything, a conductor of chaos. So, Will, thank you so much for for, uh, granting us this audience, if you will an opportunity to uh, be a part of the Kevin Smith family. I can't thank you enough. It's been so cool. The love, the, uh, the warm embraces we've had from the Sir network, the, the tweets, the pages, the posts. Uh, yes. Thank you. Thank you so much. You guys, it's, it's been awesome. That's cool. Yeah. And uh, we're starting to see the tweets come in from people who have checked out our show on smodcast.com. We'll uh, make sure and uh, get the links posted so you can catch up on our previous apps. Just follow us at BB broadcast on Twitter and uh, we'll link you to all sorts of cool shit because that's what we do. You know, we, we've, we've got the geeky stuff. We like, uh, we like um, kind of polling the audience to see, you know, what, what they want to talk about. And we've had some people chime in, uh, over the past week with, with different things. And it's really, really nice to see people wanting to hear geeky news that you can use. We got, uh, someone, uh, his name's Chris R. Maglioni on Twitter. He's asking your opinion on who would win in Batman v Superman and why. Now, Steve, I'm going to go out on a limb and predict that your answer is I don't give a shit because I don't like DC. No, actually, I, I have an answer and my answer would be Batman. Okay. Why? He is, uh, he's the dark knight. He's, he's the, the great detective, um, Batman in what I've seen in the animated series, the justice league animated series. Anyway, uh, he has a contingency plan to take out every member of the justice league. If they ever go rogue and I've seen it in different iterations in different shows and it seems to be pretty, pretty successful. So I think without the superpowers, without any special abilities, uh, I think he has the knowledge base than it would take to take out those members of the justice league, including Superman. Yeah. I mean, he's a master detective and let's face it. Superman has the powers he does by a technicality, right? He gets the powers from our son, uh, back on Krypton. He has no powers. No one else has powers. They all use technology to get around and fly. Right. So, um, if you can harness the power a la kryptonite, and come on, you know, Bruce Wayne is a, is a smart, resourceful guy. He can figure out a way to, to, to take him down, right? He has a, um, kryptonite bullet. So, you know, if all else fails and you get one, get to put one between the eyes, it is what it is. <laughs> now, the, wouldn't that be just a moment of badassery and a nice tip of the hat if that actually were in the film? Just, just like Zack Snyder knows. He's just like, Hey, check it out. Huh? And then there'd be all the fanboy crying, you know, Batman doesn't use guns. Batman doesn't kill people. Well, you know, if it's a alien with the ability to destroy the whole planet, again, you, you got to do what you got to do. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, the argument's already against from, from a lot of fans saying that, you know, Man of Steel's not even a real Superman movie and all the destruction porn and Superman would never allow all those citizens to die, this, that, and the other, blah, blah, blah. I don't know if that's going to get addressed in this sequel, this Man of Steel 2 as it was originally pitched, and now it's opening up to the whole Justice League universe. Um, but yeah, you know, I think they put up a good fight, of course, 
obviously. And you think because nothing stops Superman, basically, he's basically unstoppable, which is the whole reason I, I find him uninteresting as a character to read uh, comic book wise, although I enjoy the movies. Um, yeah, I think it's much more interesting. I think Batman is a more interesting character to begin with. And I think that he could pull it off because he's got the know-how he he's from here. He He's an earthling. He's got this, you know, after years, I've finally developed that attitude about Goku in Dragon Ball Z <clears throat> where he, he's just this omnipotent God. I mean, in the last movie, literally a God, um, you know, it's like who could take out Goku? And I have to tip my hat. It, it was a few months ago, so kids go go type it in your browser, Google this. But uh, Death Battle on Screw Attack featured Goku versus Superman, and uh, I have to agree with with their conclusion with Superman taking out Goku. Ah, all right, yeah, I guess I guess that could happen. I mean, it's all fictional. <laughs> We're all <sorry. laughs> It's yeah. not like it's going to win the Super Bowl, you know? <laughs> yeah. Speaking of um, <laughs> dealing with fictional, how about all the uh, all the, the the outcry from the Star Wars fans on uh, the Sith um, lightsaber there on the Force Awakens trailer? I love Stephen Colbert. I think he uh, addressed the, the issue intellectually and geekily on his show. And one of the big points of contention was the side posts where those little uh, hilt sabers extend from a lot of people in the fan community have said, well, if that side hilt gets hit with a saber, well, they're, they're going a little saber tips on the side. And Colbert had a diagram and broke it all down that he believes it's one beam that split between three crystals. And even if you hit the post, the post post is just part of the handle that the beam is still there is still intact. And I think it's pretty cool. The one thing I keep bugging out on with that two second uh, scene in particular is the, the saber looks wonky. And I don't know if that's Abrams take on lightsabers or as some people have speculated, was this something that was hastily assembled? And I'm kind of leaning towards that direction more because it, it does look very jagged. It almost looks uh, gaseous. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll find out a year from now. Yeah. Oh, totally. And it's like, oh, yeah, he's going to cut his own hands off. Like, why would a Sith allow that to happen? <laughs> why would a Jedi allow that to happen? You know, you're going to take something that I, I've seen people say that in canon that this, this type of, of of lightsaber already kind of exists in, you know, the expanded universe stuff, which I guess is getting tossed out the window anyway, but, or is it? I don't know. What do you think of the droid that, that round rolling droid with the R2 type head? I think, uh, FIFA has a nice sponsorship uh, opportunity going on. I think he's cute. I like him. I like him. I was going through some of the, the geek sites that I frequent, and somebody's already got their Episode 7 tattoo. They get a big version of that ball bot tattooed onto their arm, and it looks amazing. I mean, they did a great job. And then somebody comment, commented, um, you know, what if that's the bot that destroys the rebellion? What if that's the bot that, you know, shoots Han Solo in the face? Now you're going to win that for the rest of your life. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, I really like how um, it seems like J.J. Abrams has done a, a really nice job in, in making that universe look lived in and back to practical stuff. Obviously, there's some CG in there, but um, overall, it really does look like a continuation in that old Star Wars universe that we grew up on. And man, I will, if, I will freely admit, I kind of teared up. I got happy. I got just so happy to see something that looked old school and not prequel, you know, because prequel is kind of its own thing. You know, many Star Wars fans are hardcore about this. It's like, ah, eh, we saw it. Yeah, we went and, and gave George Lucas our money over and over again. But it's not the Star Wars we grew up on. Today's generation, they probably did grow up on the prequels, so they don't know what to think. Well, that's what I commented about last show in brief was, would there be a jarring effect for this generation that grew up on the prequels because the prequels are so shiny. Um, you know, I'm not going to get into the rhetoric about why the ships in the prequels look more technologically advanced than the ships that came afterwards. But, um, everything's so shiny, so twinkly. And, uh, because Lucas couldn't keep his hands off, um, 
with the control of, of, of how every scene was staged, they're saturated, they're oversaturated. There's tons of characters and ships and movement and everything all, all in these scenes. This new approach with Abram, it, it's back to the practical effects. As you said, that lived in dingy kind of real world environment. And uh, I, I wonder if it's going to be jarring for the people that grew up in the prequels, as opposed to us, where I think it was a little jarring for us to see the prequels. Yeah, yeah, it kind of throw you out there. I have to refer to Hero004 in our chat room. By the way, you guys listening to the podcast, what we do is every Tuesday night, we do a live audio stream as we report record the podcast, so you guys can kind of listen in and chime in with topics, questions, comments, suggestions, and all that, on top of doing the Twitter thing, at BB Broadcast. Hero004 in our chat room right now just mentioned, he said he even mentioned the crystals, which shows he's a true fan. What, the Kyber crystals or the, the things that were in the, the Splinter of the Mind? Eye novel from Alan Dean Foster that ha- that came out before Empire. Sure, um, I don't know where they came from. Um, <laughs> th- there's just always been this assumption with me, and there there has been some some at the time anyway canon books that came out about the mechanism of the Star Wars universes, and it's been established that there's a crystal inside the saber that focuses the beam, and that's also what gives the saber its color. The Sith harvest their crystals from one particular region and one particular planet, and that's why they all have the red blades. Um, and it's kind of a rite of passage for a Jedi to build their saber. So, yeah, that, that's where I get that from. I, I can't really refer to anything specific in that regard. Yeah, I, I'm on the camp that just thinks that the, the cross saber looks badass. I mean, is it? <laughs> I'm not going to argue it's, um, it's logic or anything, because we're talking about a space laser sword to begin with. I mean, come on. You get down to it. But, I mean, I have there, – there's some amazing fan art already made since the trailer launched – and I have the, the cross saber hilt done by Boss Logics. Um, and, uh, I've made that my wallpaper on my phone. I just think it looks awesome. And I'm sure there'll be plenty of, uh, uh of ways that we're going to, we haven't even thought of that we'll probably get wowed and everything. In fact, I know, well, the rumor is anyway, we're going to see a full trailer. Uh, when the Age of Ultron debuts in May, which is so far away from now, man. God, it's it's a year. And I know we talked about this last episode, Steve, where we're like, come on, I don't want to wait a year for something. Why we have to? Why do you have to debut the Charlie Brown, the Peanuts trailer now? It's a year away. But the, as a Star Wars fan, did you find yourself going, hey, I got, I'm chomping at the bit, I'm salivating. I don't care if it's a year away. I gotta see. I gotta see this. Well, that was my attitude initially before I saw it. Um, I get what people like you are saying. I, I get what a lot of the fan base is saying. Hey, we get to see something, and we're happy with what we saw because Abrams, again, has has gone back to a lot of the practical effects. And uh, I get that. But I think it would have been nice to see at least one of the original characters. Give us a quick shot of Luke or Leia or Han or Chewbacca, even R2 or 3PO. Um I, I, I'm still a little bit disappointed by that. I would have liked to see, again, even if it was just a quick shot, um, not having that as a part of the trailer. And I get to that, you know, Abrams has been very clear that this new trilogy isn't going to focus on those old characters, but I would have welled up a little bit more if I had that little nod. Yeah. A lot of it, it, it was shown without any frame of reference. We don't know who these people are. We don't know who that Sith is. We don't know anything about that robot. We don't know that girl riding that speeder thing. So the pudding pop, yeah, <laughs> yeah, and and at least with the uh, you know the the uh, Phantom Menace trailer, we get to know a little bit of what was going to go on. There was some dialogue going on, but with, with this narration and those quick shots, nobody knows what to expect a year from now. And this has gone back to being what it's supposed to be. It's a teaser trailer, not a full-on trailer. So it does tease you, and they're not going to give away all their money shots. I think I think if you're going to see a shot of Luke or Han or Leia or, 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 or anything that looks like the old-school trilogy crossing over, it's probably going to be a part of the May one. And even if it isn't in May... That's still another six months out. I'm sure Disney and Abrams and everybody has got this in the bag, what they're going to let out. And hopefully it's not going to be this whole like, oh, it's not this. It's not this. I promise it's not this. And then you see the movie and it's totally that, you know, like he did with Into Darkness. It's like, no, Benedict Cumberbatch is not you know who. And then you watch the movie. He's you know who. Um, Yeah. And there was that little lens flare with the Falcon shot. I am hoping that's it. 
<laughs> just one little lens flare because it did happen in the original movie one little lens flare it's okay but the, those parodies of the force awakens trailers there's so many great ones like the special edition from george lucas where he just added a gazillion tie fighters to the shots and multiple creatures in the background that was so well done i applaud that i, I retweeted and posted that on facebook that that was brilliant and the and the lens flare one the jj abrams one just hysterical it's it's awesome i know he's got to have a good sense of humor about it because he he does admit that he did go overboard on the lens flares and he pulled back on on star trek 2 into darkness and hopefully he will definitely keep that at bay Unless he can make the argument now that he's shooting practical. It's like, no, nope, nope, I'm sorry. That really happened on set. What do I have to do? Digitally remove the lens flare to keep you guys off my ass? All right, Kyle, I need to hit you with a pop quiz here. I okay. found this article earlier today. It's on uh, 538.com by Walt Hickey. And he asked, who in the original Star Wars, the, the classic trilogy, of all the characters that appear, who had the most prolific career after Star Wars? And I was shocked by the answer, so I want to see if, if you can answer this, if you can hazard a guess. Okay. Initially, my heart goes with Harrison Ford in terms of box office and everything, because he went on to do Indiana Jones. Uh, the Fugitive was a huge hit. Uh, Air Force One, a bunch of movies that I don't think were all that great, but they were, they were still financially successful he's had some bombs too but i think overall he stayed more in the public eye than uh mark hamill or uh carrie fisher although they've they've reinvented themselves too uh post star wars the answer by far by quite a stretch now i was really surprised by this is drum roll please <laughs> warwick davis what now, you know who Warwick Davis is, of course. Um, in Jedi, he portrayed Wicket the Ewok. Now, after Star Wars, he, his career has been incredibly prolific. <laughs> I'm a little sick, guys. I'm sorry. I'm having a little snot issue. Um, but he appeared in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, Jack and the Giant Slayer, The Chronicles of Narnia, Prince Caspian, um, the life's too short television series, but probably what really put him over the top was his portrayal as one of the professors at Hogwarts in the Harry Potter series, which took in over $7 billion worldwide. And of course he's in Leprechaun or <laughs> Jennifer Aniston got her start. Was that after star Wars? Was that, was that post the original trilogy? <laughs> that was. Yeah. I want to say early nineties, maybe or late nineties, but he has a total box office take adjusted for 2013 dollars anyway of 11.4 million dollars and uh second would be harrison ford now although harrison ford did appear in 39 films after the original trilogy the adjusted box office take is only um 8.3 so quite a difference between those two yes you could argue warwick davis is more a uh, character actor or an in costume actor as opposed to being portrayed as himself but um in terms of acting careers that, that really took me by surprise and somebody else that was also up there pretty high because of the type of work he does was frank oz yeah and james earl jones of course was really high up there as well james earl jones actually appeared in more films post star wars than harrison ford did Oh, okay. Um, in our chat room, Golden Panther 587 says, Willow was the first movie I've seen him in, as in Warwick Davis. I remember seeing that. It was a Ron Howard film. It had uh, Val Kilmer and, and everything. It was, it was a big to-do, and George Lucas, I think, produced it or something. I don't think it was that good a movie. But it did have some, some introductory CG stuff where you saw the first morph, uh, that character turned into a, a, an animal, and at the time it was kind of crude and rudimentary, but um, I guess it it made some sort of thing. And you had uh, a lot of the same star Wars effects guys, Phil Tippett doing some stuff and, and everything. And um, I, I don't know if that's the first thing that um, you did see Warwick Davis on camera doing. Cause I think it was like a 12 year old kid in, in return of the Jedi. Yeah. He, um, he tells the story in one of the documentaries. It, it may be um, empire of dreams there was a casting call over the radio for quote unquote little people and his 
I, a mom or grandmother had heard it and thought, you know, well, well sure, let's give it a shot. And, and they drove over to the studio and he auditioned. And next thing you know, he's cast as the lead Ewok in the film. And his career just really exploded from that point forward. <laughs> nice. And then, yeah, like I was saying, you know, you had Mark Hamill um, totally reinvent himself as a voiceover guy. And uh, obviously the voice of the Joker and animated Batman and uh, tons of video games and cartoons since then. And, and it's really cemented himself as a huge icon in just the voiceover world, the cartoon world. Um, then you had uh, Carrie Fisher, of course, who's, you know, she struggled with, with drug addiction, a big cocaine problem, even while making, you know, uh, Empire. And I, she may have had it a little more under control by the time Jedi came out, but uh she became like a script doctor, a very successful writer in her own right, and um, and successful, very successful. Uh, uh, of course, going on the uh, on the convention circuit, along with Warwick Davis and and Kenny Baker and, and Peter Mayhew and everybody, Dave Prowse, everybody that uh, had some sort of iconic role tied to that original trilogy out there on the con scene, which is which is pretty cool. You know, it's funny because this is our third episode and it feels like we're a Star Wars podcast, but it goes back to what we had mentioned. We grew up immersed in Star Wars. As kids, we saw A New Hope in 77, and I think it really turned our world upside down from that point forward. It really had that impact. And the tentacles are just really reaching out all over the place now. It's, It's totally become a Star Wars culture. So with that, I'm going to very nicely converge over to the next topic here. Yes. Um, Kingdom Hearts, Kingdom Hearts 3, it's, it's in production. It's being made. And recently, Kotaku UK had an interview with, um, I want to say it's the, the co-producer. I can't find it right now. But anyways, <laughs> <it's> show prep. <laughs> it's official. <laughs> Fuck the show, Brad. Somebody said something somewhere, says the internet. Google it. Come on. Um, he is the co-director. Thank you. He, the co-director of Kingdom Hearts 3. He's hinted, and, and he said, of course, he can't go into specifics, but there's a lot of new Disney stuff, and their plate is very full. And he's saying there's a lot to consider when, when you're looking at Disney and the type of characters you can introduce into this franchise that likes to throw all kinds of winks and nods to all the Disney properties. In brief, they're not going to keep Marvel characters or Star Wars characters off the table in terms of characters they may introduce in Kingdom Hearts 3. Yeah, and I'll be honest, I never gave Kingdom Hearts a, a, a try because it always weirded me out. I love Disney, I love anime, but I think mixing the two genres together like the Japanese sensibilities and, and and the video game stuff, the Final Fantasy, Square Enix type stuff mixed with Disney cartoon stuff. I don't know. Didn't really, it didn't attract me as the casual gamer that I am. And, I, and I'm shocked because I like both things separately, but blending them together. And this is what most fans have gone, oh, that's what you think. But if you actually play it, it's really, really awesome. And it's like, well, obviously there's something to it because it's been uh, one of the most popular titles out there and i think having that disney connection is what helped tip it over the scales now for every justification you just gave do you think it i don't want to say damages the franchise is it oversaturation if you have a disney-centric game where you're used to the typical you know the disney branded characters and then you bring in star wars and and marvel characters do you want to see mickey fighting alongside luke and uh iron man for example well, uh, it's hard to say because I don't know what the sales figures are currently for Disney 2.0, which brings all the Marvel characters into the Disney Infinity game franchise. You know, they started and it did reasonably well. It's, it's got that, um, that tie in with the little, the little figures that, uh, unlock the, uh, I know show prep. What show prep? Um, but now we're we're in this thing where okay, all the Marvel characters are now unleashed on there. I even did a, a little part on there. I don't, I'm not sure it's out yet, so I don't think I can say who I am. But I'm someone in the Marvel universe, yay! Because I do voiceover guys. Um, but there's that. So I'm thinking if they're going to unlock that, then Disney's overarching plan will probably be. And this is an official. This is just me guessing that that you will see Star Wars. Everything under that Disney envelope is, is probably going to be 
forwarded upon the gaming uh, masses just because, because they can. My wife and kids are going to Disney the, the first time for my kids um, early next spring, and they're going during Star Wars weekends. Um, I'm actually not going to be going with them for numerous is too lengthy to mention here, but um, I wonder what that's going to be like, you know, with all the Star Wars hype now after this trailer. And by then, perhaps the, the second full trailer is going to be out. And it's, it, it's got to be an incredible time to be a Star Wars fan, I think, and, and to go to Disney during Star Wars weekends in light of all this hype. Yeah. I mean, rumors of theme park blow-ups, not literally explosions, but I'm talking about like, uh, yeah, theme stuff, whether it's Marvel uh, which there is, they're, they're, they're dabbling their, their foot in the water with like some, some Marvel characters in, uh, I think Korea, Disneyland. Um, but not here just yet, but there's no reason to, to think that that's not going to be a part of it. Cause of course, Marvel's big cinematic universe plan for the next decade, it seems like it's all mapped out. So it's just, you know, a matter of time before they go, okay, well, here's the Ant-Man attraction and all this other stuff that you think would like, this would never happen in any other world. This is the only way it could happen is if some company big enough would, would, would take a gamble like this. Now, speaking of Disney's and, and Marvel stranglehold on culture, have you been watching Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? Uh, I fell behind, um, but I do. I am a fan of the show. I stuck with it through through season one, and it got extremely good towards the end as it ties in to Winter Soldier, and it continues with the aftermath of that um, uh, in season two. And I think it's a really solid show. I just got, uh, distracted as I often do, as it says in my bio, I'm very ADD. So my, uh, my, my Hulu queue is, is filling up with agents of shield, but, uh, I think it's a, it's a good foray into TV. So having said all that, I have to ask you how wet WHET, how wet is your appetite for agent Carter? Uh, it's extremely high. I think that uh, is a really exciting thing to see. The way the character was introduced in the Captain America Cinematic Universe, uh, it's a really good character to see the beginnings of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, back in the 40s, I guess. Um, it's cool. I mean, I, I like their master plan, you know, not only cinematic-wise, but uh, in TV and their foray into Netflix with uh, Daredevil and, and um, some other properties that have escaped my mind recently. Well, um, such a TiVo. I don't know that people even use TiVo. In what's day. a TiVo? What's a, what's a DVR anymore? But uh, Marvel Entertainment and ABC have officially announced that their one-hour event for Agent Carter has been doubled and is going to be a two-hour event. So you get basically a movie-length introduction to Agent Carter on the small screen, and uh, it was supposed to consist of eight episodes with a premiere, but now it's going to be down to seven to fill that slot. I didn't know it was limited. I thought it was going to be an ongoing series like Shield. I, I'm kind of thinking this might be the good way to go. You know, give give that quick hit, give that eight, eight episodes, pull back, and give people uh, an opportunity to digest that. I don't know if if Marvel would very successfully sustain those two soap opera type series, but I, I got to say I'm excited about Agent Agent Carter as well. I love the introduction um, in Captain America, and to see some of the the other characters, some of uh, the commandos under um, Steve Rogers also appearing in Agent Carter. Plus you have um, Stark. Uh, what's his name? Oh, yeah. Well, Tony Stark's dad. Yeah. Tony Stark's dad. Yep. Um, and Jarvis. Jarvis is actually going to be a character in this film. And um, Stark gives Carter just, you know, carte blanche when, when it comes to Jarvis for assistance. So that's interesting to see Jarvis playing off Carter the way you see the artificial intelligence of Jarvis playing off Tony Stark in the cinematic universe. Yeah. And as for the tie-ins from the Canon comics, I, 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 I don't know where they're going to go with that. Uh, they'll probably go in different directions just because, you know, and I've said that on previous episodes, how I'm, I'm on board with changes because you have to think about the bigger picture, your mainstream audience, aren't comic book readers on the whole. I mean, a portion of them are obviously, but um, if you, obviously with the big box office, you've gotten people that will never set foot in a comic book store, but they'll gladly throw their money at, at seeing the superhero movies. I just think it's sad when somebody 
uh, I'd say of a relatively young age, 20s perhaps, gets cast in one of these big franchises and has no frame of reference to these characters. And uh, news outlets like TMZ will report, you know, so-and-so was seen exiting a comic shop with $500 worth of books under their arm for research. And I don't know if that's <laughs> a, you should really conduct research for your role just by binging on a bunch of random books. But hey, <laughs> it is what it is. Well, yeah, I mean, I can make the argue cause, the argument because I'm, I'm an actor that uh, I'm used to being told, you know, I'm, I'm taught through through classes and everything that in the world of acting, I think whether it's voiceover or on camera, you have to absorb little bits of material and, and craft together a performance based on that. Uh, very rarely, at least in voiceover, are you given the luxury of uh, a complete background on a character and overarching things? It's not like I sit here and get to read scripts or, or anything. Very, very more often than not, I come to a session. I have no idea what I'm going to record. The director spends maybe a minute telling me the plot of something. Good guys invading uh, or the bad guys are invading Earth. Good guys uh, get together and this, that, and the other. You're going to play the bad guy. It's like, okay, all right. What sort of bad guy? How old is he? What does he look like? And then you're off and running. So I can kind of sympathize with their, you know, some of these people getting cast. And they're like, I never read the comic book before in my life. And I'll read it now because, yay, I got a big part in this thing. Uh, <laughs> but that's, I mean, that is what it is. But there's, there's good arcs and there's bad arcs. And I, I just hope they're not prepping on the, all the bad arcs. R- yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that... Uh, the Marvel stuff, they're, they're, they're hyper aware of all the experiments that have not worked and, and fallen off. And, and maybe they'll they'll be ripe for rebooting at some point. Who knows? But uh, I, I personally could do without, you know, Ghost Rider and <laughs> some of the failed ones. It's like, let's just leave this off the radar. Let's just pretend this didn't happen. Speaking of failed experiments, uh, as I've reiterated over and over again, I am not the biggest DC Comics fan. I don't follow the TV shows, Flash and Arrow. <clears throat> I don't go out of my way to see the films in theaters. So I know there's a lot of fan excitement about Suicide Squad. Yeah. Can't say I'm too intrigued not being a big DC fan. But I'll tell you what, even as a non-fan, I see two big like flashing danger signs. Okay. And the first for me is the announcement of Will Smith being cast. Mm-hmm. And the second is not that it's avoidable, but you know, this is going to be our first on screen appearance of the Joker since Heath Ledger's death. So I, I, it's, it's, it's such a cursed part. I think whoever is going to step into that shoes, what we know now it's going to be uh, Jared Leto. It's going to jump in as the Joker. You know, how much do you think of, of that fan commitment? To Ledger's, and rightfully so, you know, an Academy Award worthy performance. Um, do you think people are going to accept another Joker coming to the screen? I say so soon, but it, I, you know, has enough time passed? I really don't know. Well, Dark Knight was like 2008, I want to say. And um, of course, you know, Heath Ledger, I guess he, he died shortly after filming. He managed to to get in a, a Terry Gilliam film, the Imaginarium of Doctor Parnassus, afterwards, which I did, I never saw. But he left this huge legacy, an incredible performance that just redefined everything. It's like Jack Nicholson, who you know, right? For for most people, for some people, I can't I can't speak for all, but I just thought it was an incredible performance. And I think no matter how good Jared is as an actor. Which he's very, very acclaimed. People, people love this guy. He's really good at what he does. Uh, but someone has to fill those shoes. If they're going to bring this character back, uh, and I guess he does tie in to, uh, this universe with Suicide Squad because Harley Quinn is such a major part of it. And if Harley's there, the fans are going to go, well, if Harley's there, the Joker's got to be there somewhere. So we got to answer that question by putting him into the mix. Um, I don't know how big or small the Joker plays in that field though because i haven't really read a lot of suicide squad i rent one of the 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 new 52 reboot issues and it didn't hold my attention i thought it sounded cool all these mercenaries all these bad guys getting together and and doing hits and stuff but um i don't know um 
based on the article I read on Topless Robot regarding the casting announcement, they do state that the Joker will be shown in more of a supporting role than a lead role. My other concern, however, though, is if you're familiar with the character Deadshot, he's like pretty jacked up dude, you know, like borderline, like wrestler jacked up dude, you know, super steroid man. Um, and we have the news that Will Smith is cast as Deadshot. Do you think that that was a good casting choice? <laughs> That's out of left field. I'm surprised Will Smith would agree to do a a bad guy, first of all, and and someone who's not the lead. <laughs> you know, I think that's that's why he supposedly turned down working on Independence Day too. It's like, ah, it's not about me. I don't want to be there. And this is where I've been talking last couple of episodes about you know having that one gaff that kind of fucks up the rest of your franchise. And I was I was kind of surprised with Will Smith. And again, I have nothing against Will Smith. Um, there are some films he's done I appreciate. I liked Independence Day. I liked the first Men in Black film. Yeah. Um, I I just feel this is maybe trying to bring in some name recognition for what they're hoping is going to be a tentpole picture, uh, as opposed to maybe going with somebody a little bit more underground who could more accurately portray that character. But as we've discussed, you know, over and over again, the cinematic universe is very different from the comic universe. This, this isn't the 10% market Marvel or DC is going after. They're going after that other 90% that can go into a flick totally blind of its history and appreciate it for what it is. So I, I guess there's that end of that argument. So, yeah, you've got people like Tom Hardy, who is, who is more of a current name, uh, as Rick Flagg, Margot Robbie, who was in The Wolf of Wall Street with Leo DiCaprio, and she's doing Harley Quinn. You got Jal Courtney as Boomerang, Cara Delevingne as Enchantress. Um, with, with these people, it, it seems like Will Smith is a bigger box office draw. He's a bigger name because he's got that pedigree. He comes from all these huge blockbuster films. Granted, not recently. Uh, it seems like... The last thing he did with his own son in it, the sci-fi movie that M. Night Shyamalan Ding Dong uh, directed, it totally bombed. And I don't know if uh, Hollywood is ready to take that much of a gamble on Will Smith necessarily, although maybe they thought it's like, huh, let's let, let's do this. But I think as as a name, he almost kind of detracts from everybody else, even Jared Leto. I mean, if he if he has a small supporting role, that's fine. But it's like, I don't know how big a role the character of Deadshot plays alongside Rick Flagg, Harley Quinn, Boomerang, and Enchantress. It's a pretty big role. He's pretty much the leader of the squad, from what I've seen in other depictions anyway. It's a significant role. It's, it's very meaty. He'll have more screen time and, and more impact on the story than the Joker will, absolutely. So it's very interesting. Okay, cool. Is this a reboot of the character? Is, is the character an African-American? The character is, I don't know. Um, for the most part, he wears a mask. And that's another thing that really concerns me because anytime you get somebody with some name power, it may not be because of their, because of their ego, but because of their agents and, and because of the contracts that everybody negotiates nowadays, that you're going to want FaceTime. And that, I, that really hurt in, in like Sam Raimi's last Spider-Man foray where, you know, by the end of the film, it's, it's, Topher Grace. And, <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> Here, let me peel this mask off so you can see my face and recognize the actor underneath. And that, to me, is such a detraction. You don't see that in the books. You don't see that in animated representations. It seems something that's uh, reserved solely for film for that reason. Well, we got to show who that person is. Um, so yeah, I'm already going into uh, Suicide Squad with the thought that, okay, maybe Deadshot will wear his mask for 10 minutes of the film. And then the other, you know, 180 minutes or whatever is just going to be Will Smith running around. Yeah, popping one-liners and being funny and being Will Smith, which is probably why they got him in the first place. Yeah, he, he's probably not going to wear that mask terribly long. No, it, well, it, it makes me wonder if they all will, you know. Um, Batfleck, how how long is he going to have the cowl on? Because, I mean, at the end of the day, he is Ben Affleck. Are we going to have more scenes with Bruce Wayne than Batman? I don't know. I don't know if I want to see that now. Ah. I don't mean to be such a downer on DC. It's just, you know... Um, there's Beatles or Elvis, Coke or Pepsi, you know, Star Wars or Star Trek. 
I've always been a Marvel, uh, as you said last episode, make mine Marvel. That, that's how I grew up. I, I just, I felt more in touch with the Marvel characters and, and I've always been a giant Spider-Man fan. So I, I don't wish any ill will on, on DC or their properties. It's just, they've been very slow out of the gate. It seems like they just keep making, in my opinion, some very questionable decisions about how they're moving forward with this franchise. And I really can't say it enough. All it's going to take is that one Batman and Robin to come out and people are going to start second guessing this whole bringing the comics back to the big screen thing. Well, it's um, kind of, it's kind of funny because Marvel is succeeding on a cinematic level. DC is succeeding on a TV level with Arrow, Flash, and in my opinion, Constantine, which is the best thing on TV right now. That's just my opinion. And it's of course in danger. Uh, its ratings are a little bit higher on Hulu and, and DVR as opposed to live broadcast ratings, but we're in a state of flux. Everybody's an on-demand society. So, uh, is NBC, which I'm already shocked they would they would do something as hardcore as Hellblazer as a show with Constantine. There's a lot of death, blood, gore, and uh, religious connotations, which could be highly offensive to certain audiences. But yet, it's on NBC, folks. Um, but they're, the they're behind it. That's the wild take with, you know, Marvel staying away from television for the most part. They have Agents of Shield, and as we talked about, Agent Carter's it's it's a limited run. It's it's, it's eight episodes, and then there are other characters. They're, they're Daredevil and and uh, I always forget who the others are um, coming to Netflix. Do you think that we've become a society with that on demand, that tablet, that cell phone, uh, laptop? consuming society where it stands a chance against shows like arrow flash uh you know i mean dc really did capture lightning in the bottle with smallville yeah it seems that they're, they're really capitalizing on that and keeping that momentum going do you think taking that solely netflix approach can um can uh compete with the wb network uh i think people like options I think there, there, there is a place for network TV still, but they have to rethink their thing, their, their approach because so many people are cord cutters now. I haven't subscribed to cable in over a year and I've never looked back. I missed it at first, but it's like, I don't watch enough TV to warrant a cable bill. So I decided to upgrade my internet speed and get rid of cable altogether to save money and then just do Hulu and Netflix. And even that is still cheaper than a cable bill. And with Hulu, you get your show the next day uh, after it airs. So it's good enough. And with Walking Dead, you know, that that's my favorite show uh, besides Constantine currently. And I just do iTunes season pass for that. Uh, and I know there's obviously bootleg options. Go out there and find a website. I don't want to mess with all that. I just like watching legit on my TV and all that. So, yeah, I like having options uh, uh, download, stream, watch it on my phone, watch it on my tablet, on the go. I don't want to have to sit here and, and tune in, even though, hey, guys, listen to our podcast on 1 p.m. Pacific and uh, 4 p.m. Eastern on, on Smotco Internet Radio every week here. Uh, <laughs> it's like, how many people are going to listen live? I don't know. Probably not nearly as many as what might give it a chance to, to listen on demand. I mean, that's how I do things. I don't know about you, Steve. I mean, you prefer things after the fact, right? You're not. And if you do want to see something on TV, you just record it on your DVR. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, even <clears throat> I have a few guilty pleasures, as I mentioned, and, and Big Big Bang Theory is one of them. And for this current season, I haven't watched a single episode when it aired. I still have a cable box in my house. I know it's so sad, um, but I also have two young children and. I don't know. It's kind of worth it, I guess, for them to be oversaturated and sit and watch TV and get all kind of fat and gross. But anyways, um, <laughs> <laughs> that's a, that's a picturesque image there. Um, shit, I don't even, yeah. Um, I, I've been watching <laughs> big bang theory on demand. I, I fortunately, uh, for me, they, they also have it up available for viewing the, the following day after a broadcast. But, um, it has really become, I think, that type of society. As I mentioned, it's hard to get my kids out of the house to go watch a movie in the theater because they have tablets. My wife and I have uh, smartphones that they, you know, always begging to use to play apps or whatever. Um, they they have a computer that they share with YouTube, which, of course, I, I need to reiterate is parent approved. You know, we, we definitely do monitor our children when they're using these electronic devices, but. Um, 
it's so on demand. It's so immediate gratification. I almost have to twist their arms to get them out of the house to go see something in a theater. It's such a foreign experience to them as opposed to how we grew up. Do your kids actually respond? I mean, do you see movies in IMAX or 3D with them? I went to one 3D movie with my oldest, which was my first 3D movie ever to show you how behind the curve I am. Um, and that was Guardians of the Galaxy. And for the, for me in my 40s, for the first time going to a theater and seeing a movie in 3D, I was impressed. I was pretty damn impressed. I think Guardians of the Galaxy was well done. I know that there are tons and tons and tons that were uh, more done better, done done more well. And, and everybody always uses Avatar for an example. And Cameron just came out recently and says, you know, he, he wants to see people crapping in their pants with this next Avatar film because the, the technology is just so there right now. Right. But I enjoyed the hell out of Guardians of 3D. And about halfway through the film, I noticed my, my son had taken his glasses off. He was just, I don't know, it, it wasn't as intriguing or entertaining to him. But I, I dug the crap out of it. And, uh, as a late adopter, it's something that motivates me a little bit more to, to go to the movies and check out more films in 3D. Yeah, if you're spending close to $20, especially in in, in most major markets, I guess the, the real allure is 3D or IMAX with that with that amazing sound system or, or picture quality. And, and that's what you're paying for. And yeah, you're going to have to go out and, and, and suffer with everyone around you, you know, texting while the movie's going on and, and kids screaming and crying and all that crap. And you're paying for parking and food on top of that. Uh, and, and in general, your dollar value is better once it comes on Blu-ray with all the extra features and, and, and whatnot. And I like what, what companies are doing and they're putting movies like Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, up for digital, uh, download. Uh, like th- three weeks, almost a month before Blu-ray even hits. Now, does it have all the extra features? No. Can you just rent it? No, because they don't want to pilfer their, their DVD sales, which I, I understand. Uh, I'd be more apt to, to, to rent a movie that was available only digitally first to help, uh, satiate my appetite because it's like, I want to buy Guardians on, on Blu-ray 3D. Um, but, you know, do I want to buy it twice? You don't want to pay $20 on iTunes, for example, and own the film, but with, with a handful of extras and there's going to be like a commentary track and so much more on the actual disc. I'm one of those guys that likes having a, a disc that I can put on the shelf. And, you know, that's been the primary reason I never bit on, on the, that first month digital release is because I love the extras. I, in some cases, if I've seen the film already, all right, in most cases, if I've seen the film already, when I buy the, the DVD or the Blu-ray, it's right to the extras. And I'll probably watch the extras more than I'll watch the feature because I just enjoy the, that technical side. I love to see how this was brought to the screen, how they implemented all these effects and casting decisions. And um, with The Matrix, for example, the the training regiment that the cast went through prior to filming even starting, you know, talking nine months of intensive karate and kung fu and all these martial arts and then the wire work, uh, it helps me have so much more appreciation for what it took to bring that to, to an audience. I, I, I feel more gratified. Now, conversely, recently I was watching A New Hope with my kids, and my oldest, he, he's very inquisitive, so he's asking different questions about you know some of the realities of what he's seeing. And of course, uh, because I'm Captain No Fun, I'll be like, no, you know, that, that was a model shot on a blue screen, and then they incorporated into the footage they shot earlier. And my wife was kind of disturbed by that, that I was, you know, pulling that, that curtain away and then showing him what was going on behind the curtain. Um, as a parent yourself, you know, how, how old do you think is, is it, is it fair to expose a child to that? Like, you know, no, this isn't real, but you know, it's really cool because this is how they did that. Oh man. I don't know. I mean, my kid's mom, Back when I was with her, uh, I came home from, from work. I was a DJ back then. And on the TV was Rocky Horror Picture Show. And my daughter was jamming to the music. And it's like, she likes it. It's like, what are you doing showing this to my kid? But <laughs> it's like, okay, well, all right. She's opened up a whole new world there. Um, I guess it just, it depends on 
how um, open-minded you are, or you know, if you sit down and explain the world to your child, they'll be okay. That's why I grew up in a world with the Three Stooges and Looney Tunes and didn't act like an idiot and try all that stuff in the real world. I just knew better. I, I think what my wife was more concerned about was, was taking away the fantasy element, incorporating too much reality in, in terms of, you know, it's not real and here's why it's not real. It's, it sh- should... I don't know. I guess I'm kind of an asshole for doing that. I guess you shouldn't tell. That's like telling a kid there's no Santa, you know. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, look, there's no, there's no rocket. He's not there. It's just this, this. It, it's James Gunn's brother in a mocap suit, <laughs> you know. <laughs> it's like that's not rocket. Uh, yes, it is. I'm afraid it is, son. What? Ah, there's no God. Like actually, no. <laughs> yeah. So I guess, yeah, I guess at seven, that, that's too young. Too. I, you know, I, I, I don't want to show them the uh, the scenes in Empire where it is Dave Prowse and, and Mark Hamill with the wooden hilted uh, sabers clacking against each other. You know, it's like I, that's I, what that's what Darth Vader looks like under his helmet. It's like, well, yes and no, <laughs> depending on which Vader image you see like under the helmet. <laughs> Oh God! A Stody in our our chat's going. There's no Santa. Like, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Make Christmas for everybody. Yeah, let's ruin it. There's there's no Easter Bunny. There's no Santa. But Rocket Raccoon is real. Okay, he exists in our hearts anyway. And so does Groot. Groot is all over. He's in the front yard. He's in the backyard. He's he's by the highways. All his brothers and sisters. They're out there in solidarity. Groot scares me because I think he's directly related to the trees from the Wizard of Oz, and that's pretty fucking disturbing. <laughs> oh, it is. I'm surprised someone hasn't made a mashup tribute video with that. I wouldn't want Groot throwing apples at me, that's for sure. <laughs> no, it's not so much. Stody says, Steve's smoking some Groot. I don't know. Have you tried some Groot lately? I, I've tried a little bit of Groot. Um, as I mentioned at the start of the cast, I'm, I'm a bit under the weather. Um, it's, it's been pooptastic over here in New England. Woohoo! Um, <laughs> just a little bit, just in case they get a run. I want to make sure I don't trip going up the stairs. Oh, man, that's vivid. Okay, so we got a few more minutes left. I want to talk about this here. The statute of limitation on spoilers. Now... I'm not going to say what the spoiler was on Walking Dead, but the the official Facebook and Twitter social media page for The Walking Dead tweeted an image that was spoilerific that said, you know, R.I.P. fill in the blank. And, and, and it spoiled a death of a character before the show even aired. And people were livid. I mean, it's bad enough that. Uh, you got to deal with people like, say you're watching a show. I know you probably can't relate to this, Steve, because you don't really watch a lot of TV. But if you did, and then you're, and everyone you follow on social media is going, oh, I can't believe they did that. And it's like, oh, shut the fuck up, man. Come on. I just wanted to, I haven't been able to watch this show. It's only like two days after it's aired, and then everyone's still talking about it. Blah, 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 blah. You know, at what point is it cool to say, okay, so... When Darth Vader said he's Luke's father, you know, (laughs) oh, did I just spoil it for anyone listening to the podcast that hasn't seen Star Wars? Because I know there's about 10 people on planet Earth that still haven't seen Star Wars. One very uh, close new friend I've acquired recently, uh, 23-year-old college student, has not seen Star Wars. And it's a horrible experience being around him because... Uh, me and my whole network, we, we make Star Wars references all the time, and everything goes over his head. So we're going to tape him down to a chair and make him watch him. But you did bring up a very, very valid question. You know, what is that statute of limitations, especially as we've both mentioned that this on-demand ADD society um, is a week from premiere a good time? Two weeks? Um, there, there is no standard, and and I kind of think there kind of should be a standard. Um I'm thinking 70 years, but hear me out. <laughs> you got to hear me out here because uh, every October I have a, a tradition where I watch the worst of the worst 1950s B movies. And it wasn't until this past October that for the first time I watched um, The Creature Walks Among Us and Revenge of the Creature. Mm-hmm. So, which for the uninitiated are uh, essentially parts two and three to Creature uh, from the Black Lagoon. And I think they're better films any, uh, at any rate. But anyways, um, I never saw these films before. And, and as I'm looking for them online to watch them, you, you can't help but 
see descriptions and pictures and you know so even at 70 years yeah you fuckers ruined my viewing experience <laughs> yeah if you google it i mean even a wikipedia article uh that shows up on the google results page can spoil something right right out of the gate and that's you know you got to say it's like am i justified in being pissed off or should i just you know i i don't know can you truly filter you can't really filter spoilers out of google and you can't. Oh, apparently, you really can't filter spoilers out of your feed either. No, so. you can't, because not everyone hashtags it. Not everyone, you know, they'll just randomly say, "Oh, I can't believe they killed so and so. They killed Kenny. <laughs> Those bastards." And, what do you feel is yeah. a good time? You personally, so at least you can put it out. If people follow you on Twitter, follow you on Facebook, you can put it out there very clearly now. What do you feel is the good statutes of limitation from the time a show or movie premieres to when okay. people can start talking spoilers? I say a month. I think a month is a good amount of time to get your ass out of the house to go to the theater to see something. I had some friends that didn't see Guardians of the Galaxy until it was in the dollar theater. And they're, they're like, oh, I'm so sorry I missed this. I wanted to see this in IMAX 3D. It's like, yeah, you really missed a treat. But um, God, I, 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 that, that's for me. I think a month is a good amount of time. And I think not only should there be a standard, but I, I, so some online etiquette would be nice. If people are going to discuss a spoiler, hashtag it or something saying, hey, guys, unfollow my feed for a bit. I want to I post about I'm mad because this show did something and I don't want to I don't want to piss people off and lose friends and followers, which is its own weird thing. If you think about it, you know, we become high school all over again. He unfriended me, that bastard. I hate him. You know, I dig that some message boards, some forums, they hide the spoiler. It either changes the font to the background color or covers it up with a bar and you can highlight over it should you choose to actually read what's there. It, it's kind of wild, I guess, that Twitter, Facebook, other forms of social media haven't implemented something like that where you could hide certain references of text so you're just not hit with that front page. You go to check your feed, boom, it's it's right there in your eyes. Yeah. Well, hey, guys, it is about that time. We got to pull the plug already. The time is just, it just escaped us yet again. Steve and myself sit there and go, what the fuck are we going to talk about this week? And then we think we have nothing prepared. And then we sort of half-ass our way through it. And then we sound like we kind of know what we're talking about. So hopefully that's been the case. I don't know. What's your take on it? <laughs> it's always when I feel we get rolling that it's time to cut. That's right. You got to leave them wanting more. Is that what P.T. Barnum said? Well, at least me wanting more, and it's kind of unfair. <laughs> oh, it's so fair. I just wanted to go off on more rants and more tangents and all that, but that's okay. We have a weekly show. We come back each and every week right here on Smodco Internet Radio and on demand on Smodcast.com. Um, we got lots more geeky topics to talk about, and if again, we want feedback, comments, suggestions, topics, anything you guys want us to cover. Uh, tweet at us at BB Broadcast. Uh, leave us an email, bigballbroadcast at gmail.com. Um, uh, anything you want to do, just do it. Get in touch. And uh, we want to talk about it because we're excited that we have this opportunity in this forum to sit here and be geeks with you guys each and every week. And did you also mention that we have a slot? We, we have a live stream streaming slot. On Smodco? Yeah, I mentioned that earlier. I'm going to bring it back again. Uh, Will Wilkins from the NetHeads podcast here on Smodco uh, said, Hey, how about the Tuesday afternoon slot, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific for Big Ball Broadcast? I said, Oh, hell yeah, we'll take it. So roughly then, because podcasts are differing times and all that, um, you can hear a rerun or a new stream, depending on what it is, of our Big Ball Broadcast live on Smodco Internet Radio. And remember, it is on demand on Smodcast.com, so you can load it up on your phones and your tablets and stream it all to your heart's content, and we love it. And I know a lot of you have been asking for that um, iTunes feed, 
And, you know, because Kyle and I have nothing better to do with our lives than sit at Facebook and Twitter 24 7, 365, as soon as that feed becomes available, we will tweet and, and just social media the crap out of it. Absolutely. If you go to our Smodcast page, you can actually see, and we'll tweet that page. If you just go through our Twitter feed, you'll see the page tweeted over and over again. You go to that page, you see links to each episode. It has uh, an RSS feed link on the page. So if you choose to subscribe to the podcast through whatever podcatcher you use, you have that option. So, hey, we're all about options here. I think we're out of options now. Uh, We're totally out of options. We're out of gas and we're just spinning our our wheels anyway. All right. Thank you so much, everybody, in our chat room. We we do a live audio stream on Tuesday night, so make sure and follow us at BB Broadcast so you can find out when exactly that happens and links to our chat room and links to the live audio stream. Otherwise, you catch us here on Sir and Smodcast.com. So until next time, this is Kyle Bear, And this is Otherworld Steve. See ya! Special thanks to Will Wilkins. Music heard in this podcast provided by Perimeter of the Void. Follow the Big Ball Broadcast on Twitter at BB Broadcast and email the Big Ball Broadcast at gmail.com. This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com.